Resurrection Sunday, I will have you turn to John chapter 20. And we'll read of the resurrection uh, as John writes it. And we'll read verses 1 through 18. John actually gives us a couple of events of that day uh, when they discovered that there was no body in the tomb. He writes of the morning, and that's what we'll look at this morning uh, with verses 1 through 18. But then starting at verse 19, he looks at what happens in the evening, and we'll take a look at that at another time. But John, as we come to this passage, has left no doubt as to what has happened to Jesus. In chapter 19, we looked at it, uh, going back to verse 33 and 34 and 35. They, they saw that Jesus was dead, and, and one of the soldiers uh, took a sword and pierced his side, and, and out came blood and water. There was no sign of life in him at all. And he writes in chapter 19, 35, that, that he bore witness to all of this, and his testimony is true, and he, and he knows he's telling the truth. He watched the whole thing happen, and, and he writes this so that you may believe. And then at the end of chapter 19, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they take this dead body and put it in a tomb. And that's where Jesus lay. But then, but then John writes of what happened just a few days later in chapter 20. Let me read John 20, starting at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, 
For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great words of the resurrection of Jesus, of Mary telling the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And we pray, Father, as we look at this passage, we too will see the Lord. We ask that you add your blessing to our, our study of this resurrection, that you will be glorified that you will strengthen us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, one of the games we can often play with ourselves is the, the what-if game. You know, what if I had done this rather than that? What if I had invested in that great stock that someone told me about. When they told me about it, nobody else knew anything about it. What if I had invested in that and now I'd be a multimillionaire? Uh, what if I had listened to my parents and done what was right there? What if I had done this? And eventually you can go to the whole point, what if I had never made one single mistake in my whole life? I mean, you can drive yourself crazy with that idea of what if, what if, uh, John Greenleaf Whittier was the one who wrote, for all sad words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. And we all know that feeling, oh, what if. Well, that's also, we can turn that to a good thing. What if I had done this and, and, and not talked to this person and who became my best friend and, and got me out of trouble and, and helped me? What if I had done something else and, and missed this pleasure, this joy? It can work both ways, that, that game of what if. And sometimes you can think, especially on a day like this, what if, what if that stone had never been moved away from the tomb? Matthew makes it quite clear that it was an act of God that that stone got moved away. But what if it had never been moved? What if no one would have showed up, shown up that morning to see if Jesus was there? In fact, they weren't even checking to see if Jesus was there. They were there to anoint a body. But what if they had decided, you know what, Joseph and Nicodemus, they took care of that. We'll just let it rest. What if God had not revealed himself? Then what? Or worse yet, what if they had shown up and there was a body in the tomb? Then where would anybody be? But that's not how it went. John writes in John chapter 20, that on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. Now, the other Gospels speak of other women coming with her, and, and it's interesting because though they mention other women, 
they all list Mary Magdalene first. She's obviously pretty important in this story and, and with what happened, and they all remember her role in what went on that morning. And John, he often assumes that we know the other Gospels, at least one or two of them, and, and so he's just going to focus on Mary. Although he even gives a nod to other women in, in verse 2 when he has Mary saying, and we do not know where they have laid him. He uses the plural. So he's a, giving this little nod that there were perhaps other women with her, but he's focusing on Mary. And it's dark. The other Gospels write that it was just right at dawn or very early in the morning, a couple of them put. But John writes uh, that it was dark. And John has been playing in his Gospel on the light dark motif, and so he's going to, rather than focus on the little bit of light, he's going to focus uh, that it's still really dark because it matches the understanding of the hour. There's a darkness of understanding. Nobody really knows what's going on yet, but they will see. They will see, and Mary goes and she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb now, she is not thinking resurrection at this point. There's a couple of things that probably went through her mind first. Uh, the first one, actually, was ray, uh, or grave robbers, and that was a thing. They would roll away the stones, and, and people were buried with items back then from time to time, and they would roll these stones away and, and take whatever was in the grave, including the body sometimes, because they would want the grave clothes and the spices within this grave clothes. So that's one idea. Another uh, could be the owner of the tomb. Remember, this wasn't really Jesus's tomb. They kind of put him in there um, because it was close by and they had to hurry. It was getting dark and they had to have him uh, in the tomb before dark. So maybe the owner of the tomb was having second thoughts and saying, I don't want that convicted criminal in my tomb Get him somewhere else. Put him in the common criminal tomb that's out over there. So those are probably the ideas she had going in her mind. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and, and uh, the other disciple who is John himself. It's widely, widely recognized. And, and said to them, they, they have taken the Lord. And we do not know where they have laid him. And Peter and John are the two that spring into action right away. Up they get, and they run to the tomb. And, and they're running together, and, and John gets there first. And, and so he's the first one on the scene, and he stoops, and he looks in. He doesn't walk in, but he knows it, notices the linen lying there. And already John is knowing something. He's knowing, he knows that no one has simply moved the body. You wouldn't move the body without the linen. And, and he knows these aren't thieves because thieves would have certainly taken the linen. And remember, Joseph of Arimathea, who had buried Jesus, was rich. These were good linen. And, and Nicodemus came with lots of spices that they had put in there. 
So already he's thinking something's up. He didn't go in, but here comes uh, Peter huffing and puffing behind him then, and, and he comes up, and then he bursts right into the tomb. And notice that John focuses on the linen again. The, the face cloth and, and the cloths that were on Jesus, these, these, this linen is obviously important to John. And, and the exact meaning of, of all of this and how it was laying is, is being disputed. And, and I've heard some good ideas on why it's laying like this. But, but if you just stick with Scripture as far as the meaning behind the linen and John's focus on this, I believe the clearest contrast comes from what John wrote earlier in chapter 11 when he talked about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And if you remember, that was the event. Lazarus died and everybody saw it and, and Jesus brought him back very publicly, brought him back to life. By having, there were people around and Jesus just yelled, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. And, and out he came. And, and when he came out, he was covered in the grave clothes. And then Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of him. But you see, Lazarus was merely resuscitated, if I can use that word. The grave clothes were on him. He was still bound, in a way, by death. Because a few years later, Lazarus died. But he was resuscitated. Jesus is not merely resuscitated. He's resurrected. And death no longer has a hold on him. The grave clothes, he passed right through those, just like he passed through death. Death cannot hold him, and there's no use for these clothes, and he just passed right through them and walks out without the grave clothes. And then John himself goes in, and he sees, and it mentions in verse 8 that he went in and saw and believed. Now, he didn't completely understand, but, but he believed and he probably started thinking about some of these things Jesus had said earlier especially that night just before he was killed but basically the last three years things Jesus had been saying but how on the, on the, on the night before he was killed he told his disciples in a little while you're not going to see me but then, in a little while, you will see me. And when you won't, it's going to be really sad. But when you do, you're going to rejoice. He had talked about dying and then coming back on the third day. He had mentioned things like this. And, and John, it's not as though all of a sudden the whole Testament clicked in his, the whole Old Testament, I should say, clicked in his head and he understood all of the prophecy concerning Jesus he had to think about that a while, but he knew something is up. This is what Jesus was talking about. He went away, but he'll be back. He'll be killed, but then on the third day he'll rise again. And, and he knows, he knows Jesus is up to something. God is doing something. He doesn't have all of the answers, 
And we'll see later on, that's this passage, but when we move on in the following weeks, that they were still a little confused by some of this. And John doesn't really write of Peter's state of mind, although Luke gives us a little hint. In Luke chapter 24, uh, Luke writes that Peter, seeing the linen, he mentions that too, uh, seeing the linen but no body, he went home marveling at what had happened. And that's interesting that Peter saw the linen, no body. John saw the linen, no body. They know something is going on, and they go home. You know, we're not exactly working with Sherlock Holmes and Columbo here, are we? You would say, stay at the scene of the crime. Put up your yellow tape so nobody can enter in and start finding clues. Look for footprints along the way. Start talking to people. Why would you leave this place? Here's where something happened, but they both know we're not going to find him here. Let's go home. Jesus is up to something. God is doing something. And what's done here is done. And so they leave. They go home. Now, we're going to see with Mary, as we talk about her, and especially later on uh, when we move on with this uh, passage, uh, Thomas, who are, are more like all of the other early uh, witnesses, they believe once they see Jesus resurrected. When they see Jesus, that's when they believe. But here we get this hint that John and, and perhaps Peter, their faith is preceding actually seeing Jesus. And, and they take this step of faith, not simply because there's no body, but because the grave clothes are still there. Jesus had talked about overcoming death, and he's somewhere else, and the grave clothes are here. Okay, there's something going on. But for Mary... She's still trying to get this together. And she was there earlier, and it was dark, and now there's, there's uh, a little more light. She had run to tell the disciples, but at some point goes back, and, and we don't know if, if she happened to meet them along the way when they were going home or exactly when she went back. But she goes back, and, and apparently, as we read the conversation, hoping to find some clues hoping to figure something out as to where Jesus is. But, uh, but she goes and initially probably just goes to weep. And that's where we find her in verse 11, weeping outside the tomb. And then she stoops to look in. Now that there's a little more light, she looks in and there's two angels and they're in white. And, and in the Old Testament, angels would regularly appear as uh, human visitors, if you will, and they would interpret things and, and warn of things. And Mark and Luke mentioned that these angels were men. And, and so uh, she sees them, and John focuses on the fact that they're angels because he's focusing on the fact that God himself is at work doing something and... And there's the two angels, and they say to her, Woman, why 
Are you weeping? And she gives the obvious answer. Because I came here for a body. I came here to anoint a body. And they've taken him away. And I don't know where they have laid him. She's still looking for a dead body. She's looking for this body to anoint, to give it a proper burial. This is still her mindset, but, but he's not there. And this job that she had come to do, this task, has all of a sudden become much more difficult. I can't anoint this body until I find it now. And I don't know where it is. And having said this, then in verse 14, uh, she turns and, and she must have noticed this other person now behind her or off to the side. And, and she doesn't know that it's Jesus. But Jesus asks her two questions. The first question is the same uh, question that the angels had asked. Woman, why are you weeping? And she had somewhat answered that one. And, and then a second question, whom are you seeking? And again, you might think, well, the answer is kind of obvious. Jesus, he's seeking you. He's looking for that person who was on the cross and then got put in this tomb. But there's more of an invitation here for her than, than the obvious question. Something that she would have to reflect on. Mary, whom are you seeking when she would reflect on this, and when John would think about this, the question becomes somewhat, what kind of Messiah are you expecting to find? What kind of Messiah do you think Jesus is? She's got this grand devotion to him, but her estimate of him is a little too small. In fact, it's much too small. He's done something that she had never even imagined. Who is this Messiah that you're looking for? Because he's much greater than what you understand. And she thinks it's the gardener. She's still in her mindset. And she said, but if you've taken him away, let me know where you've laid him. Maybe he was involved in moving the stone and and taking his body out if the owner wanted it somewhere else. Maybe he saw whoever it was and what direction they went. Let me know. And, and I've got people and I've got things and, and we will take care of it. Help me with this one. I'll, I'll arrange everything. Just tell me where they've taken him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she knows who it is. She knows who it is. And for John, this would have brought back memories of what Jesus had said back in John chapter 10. When Jesus said, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And Jesus calls Mary by name, and she knows his voice. And she's enthralled by the restored relationship. She's still not really contemplating the, the theological implications of what happened. 
She's just overjoyed that this man who was dead just a few days ago is alive. And what's implied here is that she runs and grabs hold of him, probably hugs him, and holding on to him, calling him Rabboni, which she would call him. And then Jesus said to her, Don't, do not cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go Go tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my father, your father, my God, and, and your God. And, and to be honest, this verse 17 is one of a handful of very difficult passages to, uh, to interpret in the New Testament. Uh, the, the translation of some of the words gets a little tricky and, and how to emphasize some of the things and, and where to put certain words and and the overall interpretation of it, but we get the general idea, and if I can uh, somewhat reword it a little differently, uh, what he's basically telling her is, Mary, you don't need to cling on to me right now because I'm not going to immediately go away and be gone forever. It's not like I'm going to disappear right now, Mary. That day is coming. It'll be 40 days from now, but... But not now, Mary. You don't have to grab onto me like, like I'm about to get away from you. This is a time for sharing what you've seen, Mary. This is a time for joy. This is a time I want you to go tell my brothers, whom she knows to be disciples, because that's who she runs to, go tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my father, and to your Father, to my God, and to your God. And Mary understands, at least on a, on, a, on a certain level, or at the very least, she's obedient, and she runs. And she tells the disciples, she announces in verse 18, I have seen the Lord. And if I had to guess, she probably mentioned to them, and I grabbed onto him. He was like a real person. He was warm, and, and I could feel and it wasn't a ghost it was really him i grabbed on to him and i've seen him and and here's what he said she makes this grand announcement jesus is alive and here's what he said i'm ascending to my father and to your father to my god and to your god and remember everything that john writes is important to him and, and there's significance for all of us in everything that John writes. And he focuses on that that Mary said. That Jesus was ascending to my Father and to your Father. To my God and your God. And all of a sudden, John probably would have started remembering some of the things that Jesus had said about his Father. And he would have they would have probably been spending the last few days thinking of everything Jesus had been saying in that upper room the night before he was killed, including when Jesus mentioned in chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God. I'm, I'm starting at verse 1 there. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And for John, he focuses on this idea of Jesus ascending to the Father 
probably remembering, wait a minute, because he said he was going to go to his father and prepare a place for all of us, and he was going to come back and get us and bring us to the father so that we can live with him and live with him forever. See, at the time, back in verse 9, John didn't understand the whole Old Testament and all the prophecies and, and that Jesus must rise from the dead. But as this day went along, it was becoming more and more clear. Wait a minute. If Jesus really hasn't come back from the dead, then all of these promises he made about eternal life and all of these promises about being children of God and all of these promises about preparing a place and bringing us to that place... They're lost. We've got nothing. But now that Jesus is alive, we've got everything. We've got victory over death itself. Paul picks up on the idea in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. If all we have in Christ is a guy who lived a good example and showed us how to love and told us a few pithy sayings that are really good and we should apply to everyone else, if that's all we have in Christ, Paul is saying, we are most to be pitied. But Christ has been raised from the dead, and we have all the promises that he told us about. We have all the promises that the Old Testament prophets would write about. And the what-if question gets replaced. We don't have to any more think, well, what if I had lived a perfect life? Then I could go to heaven. What if I had never made any mistakes? Then I could be right with God. God has taken away that what if question because he knows we're not perfect. And he provided this Savior who overcame our sin and overcame death. And the question is no longer, what if I had done everything right? But now, what do I do with this Savior? It's the question, I'll ask you the same question that Jesus asked Mary, whom are you seeking? And if you're seeking a Savior, anything less than Christ himself, you will search in vain and never find salvation. There is no one else who overcomes sin and death. It is only Christ. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? What are you expecting of your Savior? We have him. God has revealed him to us. He gave us the promises and then he showed us Jesus resurrected from the dead. It is a glorious celebration that we celebrate his is the power, his is the glory, his is the dominion forever and ever. Christ rules over all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we do thank you that you have provided this Savior for us and that he didn't stay in a tomb, but he came out alive, victorious over death, glorified body, eternal in heaven, and yet coming to bring us with him. Lord, we look forward to that day of seeing with our own eyes the face of Christ, of going to that heavenly kingdom that he is preparing. We thank you for the assurance of all of your promises, Lord, for your great victory. May you be glorified in all of it, and may we glorify you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.